Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. The Botanical Method Aquarium niche is a bit, I don't know, weird, right? Collectively, companies in our space tend to do things like speculate. We speculate a lot. We make claims. And we make recommendations, and at best, they're subjective guesses based upon our personal experiences and perhaps the experiences of others in our community. Yet, wherever you turn in the botanical method aquarium world, speculation and generaliz- you know, generalizations are, well, they're rampant. <laughs> How much tannin or other compounds are in a given botanical is, without very specific bioassays and highly specialized equipment, simply a guess on our part. There is absolutely no proof or quantification of these assertions that's grounded in hard facts or rigorous scientific research. This is true of Tannin and every single company that markets botanicals. It's just the way it is. I think about this a lot. For us to make recommendations based on concentrations of various compounds in a given botanical is simply irresponsible and just not grounded in fact. There's a lot of speculation. So-called experts in our area of specialization have, in all likelihood, done little beyond use the materials available to us in their aquariums. I'm not aware of anyone in our niche who runs a lab or has performed disciplined scientific analysis of the materials that we as a hobby use every single day. Now, this is not an indictment or some secret reveal about our industry. It's just the way things are. It's a little weird, but for some reason, a lot of people seem to think that you know, when we mention things or other vendors mention things, it's scientifically based fact. It's just not. One of the things that we assert the most is how much tannins are in a given botanical material. Okay, what's this based upon? Generally, it's based upon the admittedly superficial observations that we make as hobbyists and power users of botanical materials. There are not a whole lot of other more insightful observations that we can make, right? Sure, we could tell you that based on our experience, a given wood type or seed pod will color the water darker than uh, another. But what does that mean, really? Well, not all that much, right? I mean, we've talked about this over the years. I mean, color of the water is not absolutely not an indication of anything other than the fact that the tint-producing types of tannins are present in the material. It doesn't tell you what the pH, DKH, or TDS of the water, let alone how much of what tannins are present uh, at all are. Now, sure, it's arguably correct that the tannins are present in many botanical materials. However, the degree to which the tannins present in a given botanical or a leaf can influence the water chemistry is really speculative. Quite honestly, other than staining the water a distinctive brown color, it's not actually not entirely known by science what other influences that specific tannins impart to the water. So to be quite honest, when we make general statements like contains a lot of tannins or can lower pH, many times we're simply spitballing, guessing, assuming, not necessarily done in the, to mislead people, but the reality is we just don't know. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to trash the many responsible, experienced vendors in our space. 
I'm not trying to make myself look stupid either, although I do pretty good job of that sometimes. I am, however, attempting to make the point that a large part of what we assert about the materials that we work with and sell is, well, speculative. We make claims and we make recommendations. And at best, they're subjective guesses. How much tannin or other compounds are in a given botanical is without very specific bioassays and specialized equipment, simply a guess on our part. Now, again, is, is there some reason why I'm going off on this today? Not particularly. I've just noticed a trend lately of people referring to other people in our field as so-called experts. There's just really not an expert here. I'm not an expert. I'm one of the people that maybe pioneered bringing this stuff to you, but I'm not the inventor of this process or, um, you know, the, the world's leading authority on it or, or whatever. I'm just one of many people that plays with this stuff. I happen to maybe start before some other people. Doesn't make me an expert. An expert is someone that knows more and more about less and less. And I know probably less and less about more and more. Now, again, I think the main thing that keeps this idea, this, this you know, this idea of botanical method aquariums, um, you know, from developing even more and more into a, uh, a real, I don't know, uh, a real scientific, a real methodology is knowing exactly of how much or what to add to our tank specifically to achieve X effect. We as hobbyists simply don't have the means to test for many of the compounds which may affect the aquarium habitat. At this point, it's really as much of an art as it is a science, and more superficial observation, at least on our aquariums, is probably almost, almost, as useful as laboratory testing and is in the wild. Even simply observing the effects upon our fishes caused by environmental changes is useful to some extent. At least at the present time, we're largely limited to making these sort of superficial observations about stuff like the color of specific botanical can impart to the water, and it's a good start, I suppose. Of course, not everything we can gain from this is superficial. Some botanical materials actually do have scientifically confirmed impacts on the aquarium environment. In the case of catapa leaves, for example, we can at least infer that there are some substances, flavonoids like camphorol and quercetin and a number of tannins like puniacillin, punasalogen, as well as a suite of saponins and phytosterols that are imparted into the water from these leaves, which do have scientifically documented effects on fish health and vitality. So there's that. The one area that we are not speculating or guessing is the ecology part. How botanical materials interact with the aquatic environment to form an ecosystem of organisms. And the most fundamental, most important driver of the whole thing is the process of decomposition. Decomposition is how nature processes botanical materials for use by the greater aquatic ecosystem. It's the first part of the recycling of nutrients that were used by the plant from which the botanical material came from. When a botanical decays, it's broken down and converted into more simple organic forms, which become food for all kinds of organisms at the base of the ecosystem. In aquatic ecosystems, much of the initial breakdown of botanical materials is conducted by detritivores, specifically fishes, aquatic insects, and invertebrates, which serve to begin the process by feeding upon the tissues of the seed pod or leaf, while other species utilize the waste products which are produced during this process for their nutrition. In these habitats, such as streams and flooded forests and for that matter rivers, a variety of species work in tandem with each other, with various organisms carrying out different stages of the decomposition process. And it all is broken down into three distinct phases identified by ecologists. It goes something like this. A leaf or botanical falls into the water after it's submerged 
some of the solubles, you know, substances which dissolve in liquids, in this instance, sugars, carbohydrates, tannins, whatever, some of the, the solubles in the leaf tissues, you know, um, leach rather quickly. Interestingly, this leaching stage is known by science to be more of an artifact of lab work, or in our case, aquarium work, which utilizes dried leaves as opposed to fresh ones. Fresh leaves tend to leach these materials over time during the breakdown or decomposition process. It makes sense because freshly fallen or disturbed leaves will have almost their full complement of chlorophyll, sugar, and other compounds present in the tissues. Hmm, I wonder if that's a case for experimenting with fresh leaves, perhaps. Well, we've toyed with that idea before. Maybe we'll revisit it this year. Anyway, cool experiments aside, this is yet another reason why it's not a bad idea to prep your leaves because it will help quickly leach out many of the remaining sugars and all that stuff, which could degrade water quality quite a bit in a closed aquarium. Now, the second stage of the process is called the conditioning phase in which microbial colonization takes place. These microbes begin to consume some of the tissues of the leaf, at least softening it up a bit and making it more palatable for the aforementioned detritivores. This is, in my humble opinion, the most important part of the process. It's the main event, the part which we as hobbyists embrace because it leads to the development of a large population of organisms which, in addition to processing and exporting nutrients, also serve as a supplemental food source for our fishes. The last phase, fragmentation, is exactly what it sounds like. The physical breakdown of the leaf by various organisms ranging from small crustaceans and shrimp to fungi and even fishes, collectively collectively known as shredders. It's been suggested by some ecologists that microbes, though, might be more important than shredders in tropical streams. I thought that's kind of interesting. Now, fauna composition differs between habitats, yet most studies I've found will tell you that chironomidae, which are bloodworms, you know, bloodworm larvae, are the most abundant in many streams, pools, flooded forests, and riffles in the initial period of leaf breakdown in the tropics. The botanical materials broken down into various products utilized by a variety of life forms. These particles are then distributed downstream by the current and are available for consumption by other organisms which comprise aquatic food webs. Six primary breakdown products are considered in the decomposition process. Bacterial, fungal, and shredder biomass, dissolved organic matter, fine particulate organic matter, and inorganic mineralization products like carbon dioxide, nitrogen, and phosphorus. An interesting fact, in tropical streams, a high decomposition rate of terrestrial materials has been correlated to high fungal activity. These organisms accomplish a lot. Interestingly, scientists have noted that the leaves of many tropical plant species tend to have higher concentrations of secondary compounds and more recalcitrant compounds than do leaves of temperate species. Why do you suppose this is? Now, I don't know, I and mean, that's something worth speculating and, and thinking about, isn't it? Also, some researchers hypothesize that high concentrations of secondary compounds like tannins in many tropical species actually inhibit leaf breakdown rates in tropical streams. That may be why you see leaf litter beds that last for many years and become known features in streams and other tributaries, particularly in South America, where you have those agarape, which we talked about the other day. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in the leaf litter beds of the world, isn't there? There really is. Of course, fungal colonization of wood and botanicals is but one stage of a very long process which occurs in nature and, yes, in our aquariums. And for many hobbyists, once we see the first signs of fungal growth or biofilms, the majority of us tend to reach for the algae scraper or brush it and remove as much of it as possible immediately. And of course, that provides some aesthetic relief for some period of time, but it comes right back. 
because botanical materials will provide a continuous source of food and colonization sites for fungal growth as long as they're in the system. And the idea of circumventing this stuff is appealing to many, but the reality is that you're actually interrupting the process when you do that. It's not a phase that your botanical method aquarium goes through. Rather, it's how the aquarium functions on a continuous basis. Siphon the stuff out and it comes right back. Nature abhors a vacuum and new growths will return to fill the void, thus prolonging or continuing the process. So why fight it? Look, it's not always going to be in your face. A lot of times it settles down to a just sort of a backdrop noticeable um, process. You'll see some fungal growth on wood or whatever, but not just as massive amounts of fungi like when the tank is new. Why fight it? Look, alteration of the botanicals during the decomposition process is done chemically via microbial action. Ultimately, the components of the botanicals, the leaves, you know, lignin, cellulose, whatever, are broken down near completely. In aquatic environments, photosynthetic production of oxygen ceases in plants and organic matter and nutrients are released back into the aquatic environment. All these organisms work together, in essence, supporting each other via the processes which they engage in. And decomposition is a dynamic, fascinating process. Part of why we find the idea of a natural botanical method aquarium so compelling. Many of the organisms, from microbes to microcrustaceans to fungi, are almost never seen except by the most observant and keen-eyed hobbyists. But they're there, doing what they've done for eons. They work slowly and methodically over weeks and months, converting the botanical material into forms that are more readily assimilated by themselves and other aquatic organisms. The real cycle of life. The ultimate result is the transformation to what ecologists call coarse particulate organic matter, or CPOM, and the, the conversion of that into fine particulate organic matter, FPOM. I know that's cra crazy, right? Which may constitute an important food source for other organisms that we call deposit feeders. Those are aquatic organisms that feed on small pieces of organic matter that have drifted down through the water and settled on the substrate. And of course, filter feeders, animals that feed by straining suspended organic matter and small food particles from the water. And yeah, insect larvae, fish and shrimp help with this process by grazing among or feeding directly upon the decomposing botanical materials. So-called shredder invertebrates like shrimps are involved in the physical aspects of leaf litter breakdown. There's a lot of supplemental food production that goes on in leaf litter beds and other aggregations of decomposing plant materials. It, it, it's yet another reason why we feel that aquariums fostering significant beds of leaves and botanicals offer many advantages for the fishes that reside in them. The big, biggest allies that we have in the processes of decomposition of our botanicals in the aquarium are, ironically, the smallest organisms, microbes, you know, bacteria, fungi, and protozoa. Interestingly, in some wild aquatic habitats, like the famous peat swamps of Southeast Asia, the decomposition of leaves which fall into these waters is remarkably slow. In fact, ecologists have observed that leaves typically do not break down. Now, why is this? It's commonly believed that these low-nutrient waters, which are high in tannins and highly acidic, seem to impede microbial activity. This is seemingly at odds with the understanding that passive leaching of dissolved organic compounds from leaf litter has been found to be a major source of energy in tropical stream habitats, fueling the microbial food chains, which we are so fascinated by, right? But no doubt the water parameters do have something to do with this. These are unique habitats. For example, here's some stats from the peat swamps in which some studies on leaf litter decomposition were conducted. Water temperature, 20, uh, 77 degrees Fahrenheit to 89 degrees Fahrenheit. pH, 2.6 to 3.8. TDS, this is shocking. 
89 to 134 milligrams uh, per liter. Nitrate, 0.2 milligrams per liter. Dissolved oxygen, 1.6 milligrams per liter. Interesting numbers. Now, in these studies, leaves of native species found along the swamps submerged in the waters of these peat swamps do lose very little biomass, which other leaves from trees did break down more substantially. So this tends to rule out the generally held theory that ecologists have, which postulates that the slow decomposition rate in the peat swamps is due to the extreme conditions. Rather, it's believed that the resistance to decomposition is due to the physical and chemical properties of the leaves themselves, which are the ones found right along the swamps. It's the ones farther away that break down quicker. The reason? Well, think about it. Leaf litter in tropical peat swamp forests builds up into peat many feet deep over thousands of years and thus impedes nutrient cycling. And when you think about it, inputs of nutrients into most peat swamps come slow, solely from you know, rainfall because rivers and streams in these regions don't always flow into the swamps. In such nutrient-poor, highly acidic conditions, it's more beneficial for plants to protect their leaves rather than to replace them when subjected to elements like wind and herbivore damage, mostly by insects, uh, to replace them with new growth. And interestingly, bacteria and fungi are known to be responsible for leaf breakdown in peat swamps because ecologists typically don't encounter aquatic invertebrates in the peat swamp, which are known to ingest leaf material. Yep, our friends, the fungi, once again. Those guys. Yet, they're just one group of a diverse biome of organisms which contribute to the function of our botanical method aquariums. By studying and encouraging the growth of this diversity of organisms and creating a sort of multifaceted microcosm of life in our tanks, I believe that we're contributing to an exciting progression of the art and science of aquarium keeping. I'm fascinated by the mental adjustments that we need to make to accept the aesthetic and the processes of natural decay, fungal growth, the appearance of biofilms, and how these life forms affect what's occurring in our aquariums. It's a complex synergy of life and aesthetic. And we have to accept nature's input here. Nature dictates the speed by which this decomposition process occurs. We set the stage for it, but nature's in full control. Nuance, art, challenge, fascination. Beyond those pretty looks, that's where the real magic lies. Stay engaged. Stay curious. Stay dedicated. Stay observant. Stay open-minded. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.